This morning I'll be reading from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. In your pew Bibles, that's page 1040. That we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, in the cunning and craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes the growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest this morning, uh, it encourages us that uh, you make it a priority in your morning uh, to come and to worship together, and we hope that we're an encouragement to you. It is always a wonderful, wonderful blessing to worship God. As we think about this month with God, we can, which has been our theme all year, but this month with God, we can belong to His church. And what a rich blessing that is to think about belonging to the Lord's church. And one of the things that our leaders are asking us to do, and as they do each year, they're very much concerned to make sure that we're learning the Scriptures. It's the living Word. It's what keeps us alive. And so each year they ask us to study individually. And this coming year, if it would help you in the studies... There is a book that we will have in in just a few days. If you will sign up for it today at the Information Center, it's the one-year Bible, and it is a daily Bible reading where each date of the year there is an Old Testament, New Testament reading, as well as a passage out of Psalms and a passage out of Proverbs. And this Bible, uh, if you want to purchase it, it's $10.00. And if you can sign up at the Information Center, uh, we have already put in an order for those of you that signed up Wednesday night. And we'll go ahead tomorrow and put in another order for those of you that sign up now. And and we'll continue to order it for the next uh, week or two. But, of course, uh, if you can go ahead and sign up today, your odds of getting it before the new year would greatly increase. And so if you know that you want that, uh, that is a a very uh, good daily Bible to read. And we hope that all of us... Uh, whether it's through this particular Bible or some means that we stay in God's Word every day. With God, we can belong to His church. But as Kevin has already mentioned in the prayer, can you imagine the epitome of selfishness it is to say that I want to be a part of the Lord's church? We studied last Sunday all day long about the church being the called out those who have left the world because they've answered the Lord's call to be redeemed, to be saved. And can you imagine individuals coming into the Lord's church and then looking around the world and saying, we don't care if you're saved or not. That wouldn't be a Christian at all, would it? As a matter of fact, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. The very heart of why Jesus came to this earth was for others. And then for us to say we want to be Christ-like, we want to be a part of the saved We would have to have that same heart and that same mindset that says, I want those about me to be saved also. And so with that, we think about we can have increase. How important it is for us to have increase of those who belong. All around us in this community are individuals that they're not right with their God. They don't know their God. 
And it'll be you and I that God will use His tools if we make ourselves available for that increase to take place. I think about an old Jewish story that was told. A rabbi was walking along with some of his students. And he asked them a question that they realized there was much more to it than just some kind of physical or scientific fact. He asked them, he said, at what point in time do you know that dark is over, night is through, and dawn has broken? And they walked on in silence for quite some time, and finally one, one student said, Teacher, I, I have an answer I would like to bring to your attention to see if it's correct. Would it be that at a distance you could tell the difference between a wolf and a sheep? The rabbi thought of the wisdom of such an answer, but said, no, that's not the answer. And another said, would it be that an individual at a distance could tell the difference between a grapevine and a thorn? He said, no, no, that's not the answer. And there was silence for a while longer, and finally one of the students said, Rabbi, Please tell us what the answer would be. And he says, the dawn comes for each of us when we can look into the face of another human being and by virtue of the light that comes from above, we can recognize that even a stranger could be our brother or sister. Friends, there could be no greater act of selfishness than for an individual to think they're saved and not have concern with whether or not those around them are saved. I heard just the other day of a situation where a mother who was a drug addict sold the formula for her baby in order to buy her drugs and her baby was starving to death. And some people would immediately say, that angers me to think that, that someone would be that selfish. That's nothing. Physical selfishness is nothing in comparison to spiritual selfishness where someone would honestly not care about someone's eternity. This morning, we do want to belong to the Lord's church, but we must realize that what we're called to belong to is totally, 100% unselfish. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. From that day forward, others' well-being is a greater concern than their own. God's will being done in their life is a greater concern than their own. Unselfishness is the heart of Christianity because we learn it from the one who is truly unselfish, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you remember... Earlier this year, we studied so much out of the book of Acts. It was under this theme, with God we can. I'd like to just spend three minutes here to remind us of some of the things we studied just to see the importance of the church's mindset toward others. Just a few days before the church began, it was after the Lord was resurrected. That resurrected Lord told us in Matthew the 28th chapter in verse 19... 20, he was speaking to the apostles and he told them, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Now think about it. He didn't say, I want you to assemble together and I want you to look inward. He says, I want you to go 
And I want you to make more disciples. Your disciples, now go and make disciples. Mark would record Jesus saying this same thing, and perhaps at another time and in different words, though. He says in Mark, the 16th chapter, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Notice this, to every creature. Do you realize there is not a person that lives in your community that God does not want them to be saved? God made them. God made them with a heart that yearns for something greater than themselves. God made them with a soul that's going to live for an eternity somewhere. God sent His Son so that they could be saved. And God gives you and I, the church, the responsibility to shine the light of truth to all those that are about us. God placed you in the lives of the people you work with. God placed you in the lives of friends that you have that aren't saved. God placed you in the lives of family members. We can't make anybody do anything, but it is our responsibility to make sure that everyone knows we love God and we want them to love God also. That's what the church does. Those who are called out because it would be selfish to do anything else And that day that the church began in Acts the second chapter, do you remember that unselfish message brought the increase of 3,000 souls being added to the body? And when we look in Acts the fourth and the fifth chapter, we have one story that's taking place there of, of the blind man that is, that is given his sight and, and they are the lame man that's, that is healed. And then you remember it creates quite a response. There are thousands that become Christians. We see in the fourth verse of the fourth chapter that there are 5,000 and it says men. So in other words, there's probably at least a total of 10,000 in the Lord's church by the time we come to this chapter. And when the Pharisees, the scribes gathered together the apostles and they said, you're going to have to stop this preaching. In other words, they became jealous. They became fearful that they were going to take over the religion in Jerusalem. And so the idea was, we've got to stop them from reaching out. Do you remember what their answer was there in the fourth chapter? And and look down at verse 20. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. We can't stop reaching out. You want us to just get together in our assemblies and talk among ourselves? We're not going to do it. We're going to leave our assemblies of worship and we're going to leave our assemblies of studying the scripture and we're going to go out and we're going to speak to the world about us of who the Lord is and we will not do otherwise. We see examples of growth also in the fifth chapter in verse 14 where the scripture says that there was, that the believers were increasingly added to the Lord's church, multitudes of both men and women. We see in the sixth chapter, which with the announcement of of additional men serving in the role of deacon. We will uh, mention this now, but tonight we'll come back and see this even in, in greater detail. In Acts the sixth chapter, there's a wonderful problem. The church has growing pains. It's been growing by thousands and, and widows that had not been neglected are now being neglected because anytime there's growth, there's growing pains. Well, what was the answer? The answer wasn't, let's appoint more apostles. The answer was, we need some special servants that later on as the church matured, These servants became deacons in parallel. And we see there the result of everybody fulfilling their place. Notice in verse 7 of Acts the 6th chapter, Then the word of God spread. The number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Friend, I want to ask you this morning, 
to just, just kind of wipe your mind clean, if you will, of all that you've always thought about the book of Acts and think about it like this. What is it about? History of the church. Lord, what do you want us to see about the beginning of your church and characteristics of your church? And we start flipping the pages and the Lord is saying over and over, I want you to see increase. I want you to see how the church was constantly reaching out to their neighbors and bringing them to the Lord. You can't hardly go beyond a page in the book of Acts without the emphasis being, let's find more to bring to the Lord. Friend, if my idea of church has been looking inward, I've missed the whole idea of the church. The church is made up of those who are called out of the world into Christ so that they can constantly look outward to find others that are willing to heed the call of the Lord because there should always be an increase of those who belong to the Lord's church. As a matter of fact, when we go to Acts the 13th chapter, we have there the beginning, if you will, of the rest of the book. And the emphasis there is placed on mission trips. We see the church of Antioch. They didn't complain to the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit said, I want you to send Barnabas and Paul on a missionary trip. They didn't say, oh, that's our preacher. That's our people that that we love Barnabas. He is such a man of encouragement. Paul is such a scholarly man. Don't take our, our preachers from us. Instead, they fasted, they prayed, and they sent them out. Why? Because the work of the church has always been, it's not about us. It's about reaching those about us that would answer the call of the Lord. This brings us now to our text this morning. And by the way, like last week, we'll have one study complete as we study this morning and tonight. And so studying this morning and tonight, we're going to look especially at Ephesians, the fourth chapter. Remember last week we looked at Ephesians, the first chapter, looking at our theme of the church. I want you to to notice here that as we go through the book of Acts, it excites us to think that the Lord wants us to reach out. I fear that if the Lord were standing here today and He was looking at the congregation at Mount Juliet, I fear the Lord would say, why haven't you reached more? I know He would challenge us to reach more because as long as they're lost about us, we have a responsibility. That brings us to this question. How? How do we reach more? Ephesians, the fourth chapter, the last part of the text for today was capably read just a few moments ago by Ray. Look at verse 16 again. Look at verse 16 and notice that phrase where he's describing the body at the beginning of verse, or the, the beginning of the verse where he says, from whom the whole body, that's talking about the church, joined and knit together. That's, that's talking about the unity and the working together. But what every joint supplies, in other words, every part of the body does its part according to the effective working by which every part does its share. Now notice this causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Every member doing their part, what? Causes growth. 
Now notice this is at the end of 16 verses where he has told us what the church ought to be about. And now at the end of these 16 verses, he says, this is what causes growth. This is the only passage in the scriptures that I know of that literally uses that phrase. This is what causes the body to grow. I'm not saying there's not other verses that teach on this topic. I'm simply saying to you, this is the only one that says it that bluntly, that clearly, that clarifies it so much to where the Lord says, if you'll do these things, This is what causes the church to grow. If the Mount Juliet congregation will do these things, this is what will cause us to reach our neighbors in greater numbers for soul's sake. What is it, Lord? What is it that you want us to do? The first thing he would say in the first three verses is he would deal with our attitude. Drop back, if you will, to Ephesians, the fourth chapter, verse 1, 2, and 3. And... And think about our attitude as we read these words right here. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness and long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. First, notice Paul's attitude. Paul began this by saying, I'm writing this as a prisoner of the Lord. He made no excuses. Wouldn't it have been easy for him right there to make the excuse, oh, by the way, I'd like to be involved in the work of the church, but I can't right now because I'm a prisoner. Notice for Paul, there was never an excuse. You notice that some people just don't feel like it's their responsibility at all, and others, they feel the responsibility, but they're always looking for an excuse. Neither one of those hopefully describe any of us here. Hopefully what describes us is that example of Paul where he says, listen, if I'm a free man, I'm out there trying to see individuals that would want to learn more about the Lord. And if I'm in prison, I don't have the freedom, but I can still write letters. Do you make excuses? As one of our past presidents made famous, do you believe that when it comes to the congregation of Mount Juliet growing, Can you honestly say, I believe with all my heart the buck stops here? I'm the one responsible for that. There's nobody here more responsible than you for the growth of the Mount Juliet Church. Someone says, well, wait a minute. I I, I don't have the ability to teach. We're not talking about the person that sits down and does the teaching. Every part does their share, but every part has to be concerned with the growth of the church and taking their ability and being joined and knitted together in the work to bring souls to Jesus. Listen, when from the left to the right to the middle, from the front to the back to the middle, when everybody can say, it's my responsibility to bring people to the Lord. That's when the population of heaven increases. Mount Juliet will not be reached by a few ministers or a few deacons or a few elders. The town of Mount Juliet and the community that you live in will be reached when thousands of us work together for God's glory on a daily basis. At all of the centers across the foyer, And at several places on all the centers, you'll see business side cards that 
On one side is just the church's address. And on the back side, it tells the times of worship. Now, I know several of you carry these cards or something similar. I want to challenge all of you today to pick up four or five of these. Put them in your purse or your wallet. Make sure they're on you as a person. And make sure that you give these out over the next week or two. All of us have people in our lives that we can give them an invitation. Anybody can give an invitation. Love for you to visit with us. What's that? It's an opportunity for them to learn about the called. About a better life. About a God that can make all the difference in their life. We all have to be involved. But notice, it's not just that attitude that says it begins with me, but in verse 2, he lists characteristics that are literally attractive. Now think about that for a moment. We've got people out in the world. What would cause them to want to visit here so that they could learn? What would attract them here? Well, if they were bugs, we'd just turn on a light. And that attracts, right? What is it that we as Christians can do that would attract them? You know... I know the younger ones aren't going to think this is a lot of humor to this, but, you know, as you get older, this kind of stuff, it's not new, but you just kind of get a different kick out of it than what you used to. You know, I was going to the, the high school ball game yesterday, the, the church league basketball game at Madison. We had a team playing in it, and, of course, they were playing another team of high school boys. And as we walked in, the other team hadn't finished, and it was two teams of high school boys. And after our teams were finished playing, there was two more teams that come in that were high school boys. Now, in the stands, you can always count on mamas and daddies and grandparents, can't you? You want to take a guess who else filled those stands? I kind of got a kick out of yesterday watching all these high school boys play, and there wasn't a high school boy sitting in the stand. But boy, there were a lot of high school girls all in the stands. Why? They're attracted to them. It just works that way. Did you know that just as true as bugs are attracted to light and high school girls are attracted to high school boys, just as true as that, God tells us some things that attracts the world to Him. Because these are things the world doesn't have. And it's attractive. It gets their attention. They want to know more about it. And the truth is, it's characteristics that by our nature, we don't like them. By our nature. In other words, we have to learn to like them. We have to learn to become these things. And once we learn to become them, we start learning the benefit of them. But by nature, we would never be these things. That's why it's attractive because the world is seeing something they've never seen before. Look there in verse 2 where he says, In all lowliness, some translations would say humility. Isn't it attractive to see someone who's truly humble? At your workplace, do you like working with someone who is truly humble? They're truly unselfish? Do you like working with people that are selfish? Do you like working with somebody that's intentionally going to come in late so that you'll start the work and get the head start? Do you like working with somebody that's always going to take the light load and always push off to you the heavy load? Friends, you don't have to be a Christian to realize how attractive humility is. But it's only by Christianity that we truly learn a life of constant humility that says, you know what, I really do uh, believe the other is greater than me. 
I esteem others greater than myself, Philippians, the second chapter. I believe in a Savior that I want to become more like Him and He was willing to come to this earth and die for mankind as their servant. You remember when Zebedee's mother came, Zebedee's wife came and spoke to Jesus as the mother of two of the disciples. Someone says, well, she was just being a good mother. No, not at that moment she wasn't being a good mother because she wasn't practicing what a disciple of Jesus ought to practice. Lord, will you put one of my sons on the right hand and one on the left hand? And you remember that the reaction of the others, they were moved with indignation. Why? Pride and arrogance always looks and tastes bad. If we're going to attract others, when they walk into our front doors, they need to see people that are so humble that it's obvious that they're willing to put them first. I come from a family of people who arrive 30 minutes early to anything. That's not what I'm talking about. If I arrive to church 30 minutes early so I can get the best parking spaces and the best seats, that's where I need to evaluate my Christianity. Unselfishness. Oh, we got to get there early. I want to push somebody out of the best place. What if a visitor gets there before us and gets our place? Well, why not start back with being converted? that says, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. You know what? I think I want to get there early so I can take the worst place. So maybe there's someone today looking for the Lord, and they'll get the best place. Wouldn't it be wonderful if I had to stand up and ask my family to step out so that I could give a guest the best place? Friends, we're talking about the heart of Christianity. We're not talking about being a social club or being religious. We're talking about being God's religious people that gather so that we can be strengthened in our work to reach out to those about us. That gentleness, the Lord showed us that gentleness. And it's not always a pretty sight. He showed us that gentleness in the Garden of Gethsemane when he went to his knees and beyond his knees, flat on the ground, and he prayed, Lord, let this cup pass from me, not my will, but thy will be done. That kind of gentleness or meekness is literally saying, Lord, I surrender my will to your will. And when he, he talks about the long-suffering, is there anything pretty about long-suffering? There's nothing There's nothing that causes us to say, I want to do it. But you know what? When somebody does it, it causes everybody else around to say, I admire that. Look at those people. They truly are humble. They truly do want the best for other people. They truly are gentle. They don't demand their way. In a world where everything is about self, I come among these people and everything is about God. Look at these people. Let's say we're going to paint this room. And everybody would submit a color. The congregation of around 950 folks, how many colors do you think would be submitted? I know, some of you are probably thinking 950. It'd be more than that because most people have two opinions. Have you ever thought what it's like to be an elder? 
Let me give you an example without breaking any confidentiality. This happened just last few weeks. A few weeks ago, I got a phone call out of nowhere. The individual made reference to something that had been done here recently, and they said, listen, I know that there's been a lot of things that's taken place over the last several years, but I want you to know that is the best one that we have ever done. And I just wanted to call and say thank you. It has helped me so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Hey, I, you know, I didn't do it, but you're welcome. Great. Hang up the phone. A few hours later, walk into an elders meeting. The elders say, we got an individual, an individual that's very concerned about the very same thing that this other person saying is the best thing we've done. You know what you can rest assured in leadership? You're the head of your home. You can rest assured that every decision you make, there are going to be others that do not agree with the decision. Are you an elder? You can rest assured that every decision you make, there will be others that do not believe it was the best decision. Are you the leader at your workplace? You can rest assured every decision you make that there will be others that do not believe it's the best decision. There's no way you can make everyone happy. No way. Well, what are we supposed to do? The only way we can have unity, 1 Corinthians, the first chapter in verse 10, we have to have the same mind of Christ. If it's a doctrinal issue, we stand with the Lord. If it's not a doctrinal issue, we stand with our leadership. He says you have the same mind and the same judgment. Areas of doctrine stay with the mind of Christ. Areas of judgment, we respect our elders. Somebody says, but wait a minute. If I do that, I don't ever get my way. When it comes to areas of doctrine, I have to surrender my will to God's will. And if it's an area of judgment, I have to respect the, the, the decision of the elders. Welcome to Christianity. That's where peace abounds. And it's where the world around looks in and says, I don't know exactly what those people have, but I like it. That is attractive. The world I live in, there's always bickering. There's always fighting. There's always stepping on each other, trying to get to the top. And I look at those people, and there's humility. There's gentleness. They're surrendering to God. They surrender to each other. I like what I see in those people. That's what creates increase, forbearing with one another, saying, I'll share your burden. I'll help you through this time. What would cause someone who visited here one Sunday to think, I want to come back here. I want to come back a second time. Now the reason that question is so important is because the next person that will be immersed into, these, into Jesus Christ in these waters, they'll first have visited here as a rule of thumb. Very seldom is anyone ever baptized here that didn't first visit here. And when a person visits, they have to have a positive first impression or you never have an opportunity to study with them for a second or third time. And so what is it that would cause someone to say, I want to come back? Well, on this next slide, it's just a review of what we've just read there in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, in 1, 2, and 3. It's when people take ownership and say, you know what? If this congregation is to grow, it's my responsibility. I love this church. I love the Lord. And I want to do my part because I love the lost. When individuals can say, I want to be humble. Not I want to be, I'm going to be. I am. I truly do lift others up. I surrender to the will of the Lord in gentleness and meekness. I'm willing to suffer long. I don't have to have my way. 
and I'm willing to carry each other's burdens. Friends, that's like turning on a light. It attracts. And that's what causes increase in the body. That's what causes the church to grow. I was so thankful the other day to visit with a family that visited with us. And that family, in in just the kindest way, she said, listen, I'm not trying to to criticize anything of the past. She said, but I, I just want you to know, we did visit here about three years ago. And really, just wasn't a lot of anybody greeting us or talking with us. And we kind of felt cold and we looked for another church home. Said, you know, we visited again today and said, and last Sunday, and said, these last two Sundays, it's been like a totally different place. We're just thankful to be at a place where people are glad we're there. It's the love of the Lord that brings people back for a second visit. Now, we'll study today three other areas that the Lord gives us in Ephesians 4 that's very important. But friends, that first impression, it'll be made by our attitude. And let's hope and pray and exemplify an attitude that's always like Christ. This morning, we don't suggest to you that we're perfect people. Individually and collectively, we make mistakes. But we do suggest to you this morning that we're people that are serious about our walk with God and we want to be faithful to Him. And if you're not faithful to God right now, why not become His child? Be immersed into Christ for the remission of your sins as a believer will and repent and confess. Maybe you've begun that journey and you've lost sight of that journey and you want to come back. Let's encourage each other. Let's help each other. Let's serve our God. Let's forbear with each other. If we can help you this morning in any way, come as we stand as we sing.